Well, thank you, Joanne, and it's nice to see all of you here. Uh, let's start with a prayer. God, our Father, thank you for guiding us to this moment in our lives. We recognize that you are sovereign over all things, things we understand and things we don't understand, things we like, things we don't like. We ask that you would allow us to know your presence in a very powerful and real way, not just while we're in this building today or while we're watching this service online, but increasingly every day as we open our hearts and our minds to you and as we carve out time to be silent before you and to listen to you. God, us as a church, as we feel our way through this time and as we try to figure out how do we go on and how do we serve and serve well during a time when people are afraid and cautious and holding back for all good reasons. Grant us wisdom to know how to take each step and how to fill each day. Give us the ability to love our neighbors and to serve them well. We pray for the leaders who are around this area, for our, our local elected leaders, for our police and, and fire and EMTs, and for all those who work in hospitals. We pray for their safety. We pray for their strength and for their resilience. We pray for hope, that you will fill hearts with hope, not an artificial hope, but a hope that is anchored in truth, a hope that is anchored in, in your grace and your power. And we pray that that hope will radiate from us to other people. Lord, we pray for our nation and its fractured systems right now, where it seems like everybody's at war with everybody else and nobody wants to reach across the aisle. You can change that. You can change hearts and you can change minds. And we, we pray that over the next several months that uh, things will play out the way that you want them to, whether they're, they are what we envision or not. And so we pray for uh, both the President, the House, the Senate, all of our elected leaders here in this state. We pray for those who are running for president. We pray for whoever will be next. And we pray for the churches that you will raise up people all across this land who dare to put you first and that in this time of great contention that we will be known for being from the party of Jesus before being part of any other party and that we will follow his commands and his dictates and his leadership. Guide us here this morning as we look into your word and as we try to minister hope to the crowd that's here and also to the crowd that's watching at home. And we pray for your Holy Spirit's insight that we will not only read your word, but that we will understand your word and apply it in the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so glad to see all of you here. It is much more preferable to have you here today than to be preaching to an empty room. I have to tell you that. You are a sight for sore eyes. There's a line in Hebrews chapter 6 that talks about hope functioning as an anchor for the soul. And that line captured my attention when I was studying this concept of hope. So this week I spent some time reading up about anchors. 
You may well know that anchors have been used by fishermen and sailors for a few thousand years. But not all anchors are the same. For many years, primitive anchors were simply large rocks or a sack that was filled with rocks and a line tied around them. And the sailor would throw that out of the boat and it would sink and it would hold the boat in place. For many years, primitive anchors uh, began to grow then with experimentation. Some sailors began to tie tree branches to those sacks of rocks, hoping that the branches would catch and dig into the seabed, making the hold more secure. And then in the early 1800s, improvements in the art of welding led to more, more anchors being uh, developed, some with curved arms, and eventually to the Rogers and Martin anchors that form the traditional shape we think of in regard to anchors today. Anchors are also used differently according to the conditions and the purpose of anchoring. A quick, quick lunch stop or dropping anchor to fish for an hour doesn't require the same kind of angle and measurement as setting an anchor for a boat that needs to withstand the forces of the wind on a stormy night. In that case, the line needs to run farther away from the boat and set a flatter angle so that anchors can set more deeply into the seabed. And in theory, the more the wind and the waves push the boat away from the anchor, the more deeply the anchor digs in and provides security and consistency and safety for those in the boat. One thing that seems consistent about anchors through the years, those who use them want to know that the anchor will hold. Now this raises a question for me. Why does the author of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews refer to hope as an anchor for the soul? The opening half of Hebrews 6 verse 19 reads this way, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In what ways does hope function as an anchor for the soul? That's going to be our focus for this morning. So again, I say good morning. I am so glad to see those of you who are in-house today, and I'm glad to be with those of you who are with us online. Welcome to North River Church. We now have a dual expression of church, and we'll continue this way for a long time to come. Today our topic is the anchor of the soul, and we're going to look at ways that hope functions as an anchor for the, the human soul. This is part six in a series that is called Finding Hope in Trying Times, and you all have been living through trying times. One thing I am more certain about than ever before is that people need hope the longer this crisis period is extended. So let's talk about three ways that hope functions as an anchor for the soul. The first is through the promise of God's consistency. In verses 17 and 18, read this way in Hebrews 6. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which is, is, is impossible for God to lie. The verse goes on a little bit more, but I want to focus on this much right now. Look at what verse 17 tells us. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose clear. It doesn't just say clear, it says very clear. Wow. Now God didn't have to do this, but he wanted to make his purpose to be known and very clear to people like you and me. This tells us something very important about our God. He makes his purposes known 
and he does it in ways that are clear to us. The more we study, the more that we think, the more that we know him. What purpose is this letter referring to? It says God wants to make his purpose known. So what purpose? Well, the context of these verses goes back a little bit, a few more verses, and it tells us that God made a series of promises to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. He promised to make Abraham into a great nation. Some of you may remember that the name Abraham was an extension of his original name, Abram. And in Hebrew, Abram means father of a nation. Abraham, that name was given to him when he was 75 years old, and he had no children, and his wife had been unable to conceive, and yet God tells him, I'm going to make you not only a father, but a father of many nations. Change your name. And so Abraham means father of many nations. God also promised to bless him, to make his name great, and to make him a blessing to other people. He promised to give him the land of Canaan to Abraham and his descendants, and ultimately, God promised that he would bless all people groups, all ethnic groups, all across the world through Abram. Now, sometimes we refer to this as the Abrahamic covenant. God's purpose was to bless people from every ethnic group, every tribe, every nation in the world through Abraham and through Abraham's faith. New Testament letters like Hebrews and Romans refer back to this promise deliberately. Because Jesus opened up the way for all people groups to walk in what Paul called in Romans chapter 4, the footsteps of Abraham's faith. So you and I are challenged to have the same kind of trusting faith that we see exhibited in Abraham's life. And when we walk in this faith in our God, we put ourselves in the pathway of God's blessing. That promise to Abraham has been kept by God and is still unfolding more and more as each year goes by. Because God's plan would take multiple centuries to unfold, he wanted to make his purpose clear. That Abraham wouldn't just receive blessings in his own lifetime, but his descendants and those who are the heirs of his faith would also be blessed in the same way. And he wanted to give people of faith reasons to hold on to hope because God's plan was going to take a long time to flesh out. That's what this letter is telling us here in these opening verses. The description here also lets us know that God's commitment is doubly strong. In the old world, there were two parts to an agreement or a covenant. First, there was the promise itself, and then alongside the promise would be the guarantor of the promise. The guarantor was somebody usually who had greater wealth or greater stature who was willing to back the promise of the person who was making that initial commitment. Think of in our day when somebody co-signs a loan. The a first person is taking out that loan, but a second person who has greater means is saying, all right, the bank may not give you the loan on your own, so I'll co-sign for you. Sometimes a parent does that for a young adult child. Sometimes uh, somebody takes a great risk to do that with a business partner, but somebody of greater wealth, of greater statue, stature, backs that loan. That's what the guarantor does. In this case, since there is no one greater, God assumes both roles. He's both the one who makes the promise and he swears by himself. Now look at one more statement from verse 18. There it tells us that God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. 
that is telling us something very powerful and unique and important about God. Our God can do anything, but there are things about his nature, about his character, that are absolutely unchangeable. They are immutable. And one of those characteristics is that God does not lie. This means that there are some things about the nature of God that will never ever change and you can trust them, you can bank on them. And this is one of those. God cannot lie. He will not lie. He does not lie. He is always trustworthy. He always comes through on his promises. Let's put these two discoveries together now. First, we learn that God's purposes are unchangeable. And second, we learn that God does not lie. This tells us that our God is not fickle. He doesn't change his mind. And the result is that these attributes form the promise of God's consistency. And the ability to trust in God's consistency brings us hope. This is why the Bible tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because God is consistent. And the Bible wants us to know, these writers of these letters want us to know that our God is trustworthy through every situation in life. And his consistency produces hope in our lives. So let me introduce to you the main idea that's running through this morning's message. Enduring hope, and that's the kind we want to have, not a flash in the pan hope. Enduring hope is anchored in the character of God and his commitment to keeping his promises. So the first promise is the promise of consistency. Here's the second one that shows up here in Hebrews chapter 6. It's the promise of refuge. Again, we pick this up at the beginning of verse 18 and bring it into verse 19. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And then the beginning of verse 19 adds to that. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Verse 18 speaks of those who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us. Who is the author of Hebrews talking about here? Who has fled to take hold of hope? Another translation makes this a little bit clearer. The New American Standard Version reads this way. We who have taken refuge. Okay. Who has taken refuge then? Here are some possibilities that seem to fit this scenario. Christians who flee from their own sinful obsessions, the things they cannot change about themselves by their own power, flee and take refuge in the arms of Jesus. Our Jesus loves sinners and came to die for sinners like you and me and to rescue us out of the messes that we create. Here's a second possibility. Christians who flee from the sinful patterns of the world into the safe arms and refuge of Jesus. Or it could mean Christians who flee from some form of persecution to seek refuge or safety. You and I live in a time of growing hostility toward Christians and towards Christian values. Not outright persecution in this land, but growing hostility. Even in this time of asking churches to shut down or, or limit attendance, we still have great freedoms. And we've been able to meet. We've met online and we've, we've met uh, virtually. And today we're able to gather here somewhat sparsely, spread out, but we're able to meet still. Freedom to worship, freedom to practice our faith in this land. 
In several other nations, there is more persecution now than at any other time in history. And there is a growing hostility around the world that makes us watch and wonder and wait and call upon Jesus. People in those kinds of situations need the physical refuge that comes from throwing themselves into the arms of Jesus. Now, following Jesus does not exempt you and me from the difficulties of life. We get sick. You may struggle with a cancer of some kind. It is possible that some will get COVID-19. We've had a handful of people from our church who've had to fight this off. But in all these areas, Jesus is our refuge. He is our safe place to run through. No matter how abandoned you may feel, Jesus is your refuge. No matter what difficulty you are going through, you can always run to him. Flee to Jesus. The more we rely upon Jesus, the more we find hope flowing in our direction. The alternative, if you want to choose that, is to rely only upon yourself. And when your personal strength and confidence run out, you're done. But Jesus continues to resupply hope, to resupply confidence to those who trust in him and put their hope in him. This is where Hebrews 6.19 says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. What anchors do is the more the storm rages, if the anchor is set well, the anchor digs in. And the, the more flat out the line gets as the boat pulls away from that anchor, the stronger the hold is. Friends, there will be storms in your life and there will be storms in my life. God our Father and Jesus our Lord will be there to ride it out with you. We will not be exempted from the storms, but we will find him most powerfully, most personally in the midst of the storms. And while the storm may batter the ship, when the anchor holds, you can ride it out. Now, there are multiple purposes for anchors. Sometimes an anchor keeps you from drifting. Sometimes an anchor keeps you stable in a storm. Sometimes an anchor can be used to pull you to safety. I read this week something I didn't know. It, it's about something called a kedge anchor. A kedge anchor is used when a ship is grounded, runs up on a sandbar. And sailors then will row out in a smaller boat, like a rowboat, and they'll throw a kedge anchor as far from the ship as they can, as, as far as, as the line will allow them. And then other sa sailors on board the larger boat operate a winch and begin to pull the ship toward the anchor. This is known as kedging. Remember this concept in those days when you begin to wander from the truth and you run aground and you find that you're not sure how to get back. Set your sights on Jesus and begin to head toward him and pull your way back. You can kedge your way back because he is the anchor that will hold even when you mess up. Enduring hope is anchored in the character of God and His commitment to keeping His promises. So we've looked at how we have the promise of God's consistency. We have the promise of refuge. Here's a third way that hope is an anchor for our souls. It has to do with the promise of access. So again, we go back to verse 19 and then into verse 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
The third way that hope functions as the anchor of the soul is by providing access. The author to this letter uses the illustration of the curtain to the inner part of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the, the temple is kind of an interesting place. You're, you're seeing a visual right now of the inside of the temple. If you could cut away some of the, the outward part and, and take a bird's eye view to look inside. And even priests had restricted access to the most inner part that was called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the high priest could enter that part of the temple and only on certain occasions. But Jesus, as the ultimate high priest sent by God, has accessed that place for us. By shedding his blood on the cross, by paying for our sins, the way to God has been opened. In the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, records that at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This signifies that because Jesus made complete atonement for sins, we are no longer from, uh, restricted from approaching or accessing God. Today, Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father and daily represents our needs to God our Father. In that way, Jesus is the eternal high priest who doesn't need to be elected or replaced. And through him, we have direct access to God the Father himself. This is why Christians around the world insist on praying to God in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to do that every time, and God hears our prayers if you forget, but the reason why we invoke the name of Jesus most often when we pray is because he is the one who gives us access. He is the mediator who goes between us and God the Father, and he brings our prayers to God the Father. It is by his authority and by his name that we have access to God. So I have some questions for you. Do you realize that part of God's purpose is to include you in the pathway of his blessings? Do you find yourself caught in destructive patterns of sin in your own life and at times needing a refuge, some place that is safe to run to? Would you like to find sure and certain access to God? If you can answer yes to any of these questions, it's time to make sure that you shift your trust away from yourself to perform all on your own and to try to please God all by yourself and to take advantage of the pathway that God has provided for us through Jesus. And it's time for you to pour out your faith and place it in the strong arms and in the consistency and in the trustworthiness of Jesus. Something happens when you say, I'm getting out of the salvation business and I'm going to let the Savior save me instead of letting myself try to somehow find a way to save myself. When you shift or transfer your trust to Jesus, His grace gets poured out into your life and you begin a whole new life. Enduring hope is anchored in the character of God and his commitment to keeping his promises. And one of those promises is that if you will put your trust in him, he will make you new on the inside. He will count you as a child of God forever. And your name will be written in the book of life.
So whether you're here in the room or you're watching at home or some other place, if you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, do that now. Pray along with me something like this. Dear God, thank you for revealing to me that you are consistent and that you keep your promises. Be my refuge and my safe harbor. Please allow me to find access to your grace as I trust in Jesus, the high priest. I put my faith and trust in him as my savior and as my leader for life. Now, wherever you are, if you just ask the Lord to save you, to be your savior, to be your refuge, and you put your faith in him, you have taken a very important step. If you're online, I want you to click the button on your screen that says, I am putting my faith in Jesus. We want to know about that. We want to talk with you about that. We want to help you take next steps in this new life that is wrapped up in following Jesus. If you're here in the room, I hope you'll talk with me or somebody else on the way out. But you've just begun a whole new journey, and you will find that He is your refuge in times of storm. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to end this service. I'm going to have a final prayer, and we're going to sing one more song. For those of you who are in the room, what we're going to do is we're going to open these outdoor uh, exits in the back and on your right, and you can, ent you can exit that way. If you need to go to the bathroom, you can still do all of that. But thank you for coming. And we're looking forward to kind of a new birth of North River as we move forward both in person and online. But let's pray together about the life that we live as we leave this place and as we go back into a world that is scared and that needs hope and that will listen to those who have found the greatest source of hope ever, that firm and secure foundation we find in the living God, in His Son Jesus, and in the Holy Spirit who guides us every day. Father God, we've come together to worship You, to look into Your Word, to gather again with other people of faith and of those who are searching for faith. We pray that you will take those little kernels, those little nuggets of faith that you've already embedded in our hearts and cause those to grow, and to flourish, nourish them through our reading of your word, through our prayers, through the indwelling of your spirit, through contact and encouragement from others who have faith in you. Give us the heart, the wisdom, and the tenacity to dare to live out our faith, not just today, but each and every day in the midst of a very confusing time. Give us clarity about this while we don't know the future. We know who anchors the future for us. And we know that the anchor that you give us will hold because you are consistent because you are our refuge, because you give us access to the very throne of heaven. And we pray and lift our worship to you this day, and we move forward in hope in the mighty name of Jesus, who has won the victory. Amen.
Amen.